uh, thankful liturgy, I think is what you call it. Um, you know, it's snowing. Isn't that crazy? Is, is anybody thankful for that? I know Sean is. All right. Um, my kids are thankful for that. I think it's the beginning of a long winter. Uh, so we'll see how that goes. Okay, so I'm, yeah, Thanksgiving, this is great. This is the official beginning of the holiday season, and we are going to look into the Word and, uh, and be filled with the Holy Spirit today in light of all those things. So to begin, let me ask you a few questions, okay? Think about the answers to this. First, do you ever find yourself frustrated? Raise your hand if you ever find yourself frustrated. Okay, everybody raise your hand. Don't even do that. All right, have you ever found yourself spiritually empty? You can raise your hand if you want to. Have you ever found yourself spiritually empty or in a dry season? Here's another one. <clears throat> what hasn't happened or changed in your life because you haven't been praying for it? That's not a yes or no question. That's just a thought. What hasn't happened or changed in your life because you haven't been praying for it? Consider the role of praise and prayer in your life. That's what we're going to do today at the official beginning of the holiday season. I love to preach on prayer and thanksgiving. And here's why I love to preach about prayer and thanksgiving, and I'll do it throughout the year. Because to the extent that a church or individual believer or family grows in prayer and praise, the more powerful the church is, the more powerful the Christian is, the more spirit-filled our lives are. And so I love to preach on all that the Word of God says about prayer and praise. And what an opportunity that Thanksgiving gives us to do that this very week. So to do that, we're going to open our Bibles to the end of the book of 1 Thessalonians. Would you please pull out your Bibles, turn them on, whatever. Raise your hand if you don't have a Bible or a, a bulletin. I'd love for everybody to have a bulletin today because we're going to be using them today. So Chris is passing around bulletins, English or Spanish. And raise your hand if, if you need one. There's a pen attached to them too, which is helpful as well. So we're looking at the end of the book of 1 Thessalonians, which raises the question, who are the Thessalonians? Uh, so let me say a word about the Thessalonians. The Thessalonians was a young church uh, that the Apostle Paul was writing this letter to, and guess what? They had struggles in their lives, just like we have struggles in our lives. Oh, this life is so filled with struggles, right? Always been that way. What were the Thessalonian struggles? Well, here is their story and how we can connect with it. A little bit about them. The city of Thessalonica worshipped the Greco-Roman pantheon of gods. That was their predominant religion. And when Christians tried to minister there, there rioters reacted and persecuted the Christians, dragging them out into the streets, dragging them into the courts. Paul needed to address that. Then some members of the church had died, and they thought that those who had died would miss out on the resurrection. They had plunged into hopeless grieving because they didn't understand the Scriptures. They had a misunderstanding of the Bible. So Paul had to address that. Paul had to point out that they were not concerned enough about holy living before Jesus returned. So he addresses that, and some disunity among the church. So he addresses that. So Paul writes to address these struggles, persecution, death, despair, 
bad theology, bad relationships, and he does so with an enormous amount of truth and love, which is how we should address those things. Amen? All right, so he does that. That's the book of Thessalonians, and it's an amazing portage, a portion of Scripture, passage of Scripture. Paul ends this letter with several passionate instructions about living like Christ. And if you open your Bible to 1 Thessalonians 5, chapter, uh, chapter 5, verse 12, you see the beginning of that series of instructions. And we're going to skip over the first few that start in verse 12. Those first few relate to our relationships with each other. Now, that's a sermon or a series of sermons for other days. Okay, these are great things. He exhorts us, commands us to be at peace with each other, to love and respect each other, to admonish the lazy, to encourage the scared, to help the weak, to have patience towards everyone, and to never seek revenge, but to do good to everyone. All right, like I said, different sermon, great stuff. But now in verse 16, verses 16 through 18 is our text today, that moves the attention from our relationships with each other to our relationship with God. And that's our focus today. Our focus with God. Our relationship with God. Our worship of God. So inspired by the Holy Spirit, Paul gives several commands of continuous action. Linguistically, that's, that's what we see here. We see continuous action verbs. These are not suggestions for the Christian. They are not even habits to practice occasionally. These are identifying characteristics of who we are as a Christian and the keys to a successful Christian life. That's what these commands are. So in our seasonal focus today on the prayers of Thanksgiving and Christmas, we are going to discover God's solution for being frustrated, spiritually empty or dry, floundering in life, or far from God. As we focus on these three continuous, continuous action commands of verses 16 through 18. And that brings us to our starting place. Verse 16 is, is the command to be joyful in outlook. Verse 16 says, rejoice always. Now, that's a long, complicated verse, I understand. Uh, it's really hard to memorize that. There's a lot to unpack there. That's not true, is it? It's very short. In fact, the, the verses that we're looking at today are some of the very shortest verses in the entire Bible. But man, are they powerful. And are they important. And are they powerful to our lives as well. Because it's impossible to obey a command like rejoice always... I mean, it's only two words. Just think of how impossible that is, right? It's impossible to always be rejoicing, literally is what the Greek says. It's impossible without a thorough and accurate biblical understanding of joy. But with that, and with the Holy Spirit, it is possible. So let's make sure we have a thorough and accurate understanding of joy. Because that's the secret. Let's start here. First, know this. The command to rejoice always, it's a command, it, and it's, it's who we are as Christians. It should be what we're always doing. We should always be rejoicing. This is not, let me, this, let me just make this really clear, because Christians get this stigma attached to us all the time. This is not a command to put a sugar-coated, plastic, happy face on all the time, even in the midst of hardships. 
Okay, and if you think that it is, and if, if you think I have to have my happy face when I come to church or when I go out, uh, because that's what God commands, that's wrong. That is not what God commands. Okay, we, we have these extreme hardships. The Thessalonian church was facing their extreme hardships, which we looked at, and we are confronted every day with things like sickness and loss and persecution and anger and violence and gossip and betrayal, <laughs> the glorification of lust and sin of every kind all around us. All right, we have all these hardships. Paul's own life was filled with misery and pain and trials and persecution. And yet he's the one who, who's giving this command from God. He identifies himself. Here's what he calls himself. He calls himself sorrowful yet always rejoicing. That's on his name tag. Hi, my name is Paul. Sorrowful but always rejoicing. What's the secret? What does Paul know that, that we don't know? What is the basis for such a radical command as always be rejoicing no matter what? I'm glad you asked. Let me answer that. Paul knew what we need to grasp today. And that is that the joy in Jesus can transcend and must transcend, that means rise above and overshadow all of our sorrows. Because, listen to this, because real joy comes from God, not from our circumstances. Real joy comes from God and God doesn't change and he's not bad. It doesn't come from our circumstances. So keep following with me here. Only Holy Spirit-filled Christians are able to rejoice always because we know God and are trusting God and are following God and being filled by him. We know who he is. We know what he's done. We know what he's doing, and we trust him. Here's what the Bible says. We're going to go through, I mean, we could be here all day, kind of like Tristan said. He's got 10 more. Um, the Bible's got lots and lots more here are some of the main things that we know about God, what he has done, and what he is doing that should fill our hearts with perpetual joy all the time, no matter what the circumstances are. I'm just going to go through these quickly. The verses are on the screen if you want to write them down. First, rejoice always because of God's character, because of who God is. We can rejoice. Psalm 28, 7 says, The Lord is my strength and my shield. In him my heart trusts, and I am helped. My heart exalts because of who God is. These are all verses about joy, where it comes from. The next one is Jesus' gift of salvation. That was mentioned a few times today. Romans 5, 1 and 2. Because we've been brought from death to life, we can rejoice no matter what the circumstances. Romans 5 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, and we rejoice in hope in the glory of God. So we rejoice. Why, why else? There's more. There's lots more. Next is the Holy Spirit's ministry in our lives. It's ongoing. Romans 14, 17, Paul writes, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Joy in the Holy Spirit. That's what the kingdom of God is all about. So we rejoice. Next, God's sovereign providence. He's in control of everything, that he orchestrates everything for our good. Romans 8, 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. So because we know that all the bad circumstances can be redeemed and used ultimately for our good, we can rejoice in all the circumstances. 
We can always rejoice. Next is the promise, just a couple more, the, the promise of future glory. Oh, man, and he says, set your minds on things above, and you'll be always filled with hope. Matthew 5.12, Jesus says, rejoice and be glad. Rejoice, here's the command from Jesus, and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. They've been reaping their reward for a couple thousand years. We'll have our turn for eternity. Hmm. Rejoice. And the last one I have here, the privilege of genuine fellowship. 1 Thessalonians 3.9, a little bit earlier in this letter that we're looking at today, 1 Thessalonians, Paul writes, For what thanksgiving can we return to God for all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God? We have a lot of reasons to be joyful, always. And that's a command. And so, what a list, right? Amen? Amen. And so we, we know how to respond to this. Now, only Christians who grasp this truth can ever be successful at always rejoicing. And so my prayer is that you're hearing this and, and the Spirit is ministering to your, to your heart and you're grasping this and will apply it. See, it's all about perspective. You keep your perspective down here, you're not going to be able to rejoice always. You keep your perspective on God and all these truths and you will be able to rejoice always. It's all about perspective. You focus on your circumstances, you're going to drown. Here's a little story to help us remember that. I think this will help us uh, help make this stick. There's a story of a lawyer who came home from work one day to find his three-year-old daughter in tears and distress. He discovered that her turtle had died, and she could not be comforted. He tried in his best lawyer skills of reasoning. All right, we can go to the pet store and buy another one. But even at three years old, she knew that no, no, this one was gone, and there is no other one that can replace this one. So that didn't work. So he thought for a moment, and he tried again. We'll have a funeral for the turtle. But the little girl didn't know what a funeral was. <laughs> so he thinks, okay, how can I explain this? And he says this, longing for something that would get her mind off of the turtle's demise. He said, a funeral is like a birthday party. We'll have ice cream and cake and lemonade and balloons, and all the children in the neighborhood will come over. And celebrate with you to play. All because the turtle died. Well, that worked. The prospect of a turtle funeral did the trick. And instantly she was her happy, smiling self. So, with visions of cake and ice cream in their heads, the two beamed down on the deceased turtle lying at their feet. As they did, the turtle began to move. And a few seconds later, he was crawling away as lively as a little turtle can be. Then the emotions changed again as the little girl realized what was going on and her party was in jeopardy. And the little girl looked up, up, up at her dad with her big, beautiful eyes, wondering if they should start crying again. And she said, Dad... Can we keep the party? And dad said, yes, daughter, we can keep the party. And so they did. And this is an illustration of perspective. And we are the little girl. And God says, despite your circumstances, you can keep the party. I'm the party. Amen? So whenever you get down, say, can we keep the party? And God says, yes, we can keep the party. 
He cares for us. He will never leave us. And he's all-powerful, and he's in control, working all things to our good, and we have all this in eternity to look forward to. We can keep the party. We're not canceling this party. Rejoice always, brothers and sisters. Now, I can't wait to hear and witness how we're all going to go apply that for the rest of our lives because it's commanded by God in Scripture. And this is the same God who we pray to. And so the command that follows immediately after where we start starting point to rejoice always is to pray to him constantly. And you see our theme developing today, the prayers of thanksgiving and Christmas. So we come to, on your notes, the prayers. And the command of verse 17 is persistent in prayer. Verse 17 is another extremely long and complicated verse. It takes a long time to memorize. Pray without ceasing. Or your translation might say pray continually, which is even shorter. Just like Paul knew all the reasons to rejoice, and so he was able to, Remember his name tag, sorrowful yet rejoicing always. Just like Paul knew that, he also knew all the reasons to be praying to God all the time. And so I want to make sure we have a thorough understanding from Scripture of why we pray all the time, why this command is given from God. All right, so let's jump into this one and be changed by the word. The word Paul uses for pray here covers all aspects of prayer. It's the general term for prayer most often used in scripture, and it covers all of them. Submission, confession, worship, adoration, intercession, praise, thanksgiving, all of that is covered by this word. Okay, so all the talking to God that we do. And the word for without ceasing means constantly. Okay, now, I know that's confusing when the first time you hear it. If I, if I just pray all the time, I won't be able to get anything else done in life, right? So um, does that mean I'm always on my, my knees praying 24 hours a day. And no, it doesn't mean that. So how do we understand it? It does not mean that you never do anything else in life but pray. But to pray in life while you're doing everything else. The best analogy for me to help understand this is like the person with the persistent cough. Now, if you've had a cough that's persistent, you know that you don't cough every second of the day. Right? Maybe close, <laughs> uh, but you're coughing a lot all throughout the day everywhere you go. And that's what this means. It also means to set aside some focus time to pray. So let's talk about both of these. Where do we see that in Scripture and what's behind this? The best place for us to start understanding the command to persistent prayer is to look at Jesus. Jesus. Look at Jesus. Because what's our mission statement as a church? After all, it's, it's on your bulletin. Maybe you have it memorized, hopefully. It's we exist to glorify God by being Christ followers who make Christ followers. So that is the very mission of our lives, the purpose of our lives, to be Christ followers, to follow Jesus. So that's a good starting place. How did Jesus pray? So let's consider how did Jesus pray. And if you look through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you see this over and over, and you'll start seeing this now that we're talking about it today, that he was constantly in prayer to the Father, getting filled up 
uh, being in communion and in relationship with his Father, God. Uh, we observe all through the gospel accounts Jesus leaving the crowds multiple times to go to a mountain to, to pray or withdraw to a desolate place to pray over and over. Uh, um, rising early in the morning while it was still dark to pray, withdrawing with the disciples to pray together several times, kneeling to pray. And I love this one when it dawns on you. Before he did his miracles, often it says, just real quick, it says, with a look up to heaven, he healed the blind man. With a look up to heaven, he broke the bread and fed the 5,000. He's praying all the time throughout the day. And then we see, and he's, and he's giving focus time on prayer. Now, he's who we follow. That's the lifestyle that we live in our communion with our God. And then we see in the book of Acts, the early church got this. You just read through the book of Acts, and you'll notice that every time something amazing happens right before it, what are they doing? They're praying. That's a great study. Just see when they pray together, when it says they pray, and often when they fast, and then what happens right after that? The most amazing things. All through the book of Acts, the early church got it. Then we get to the letters in the New Testament. And that's what 1 Thessalonians is. And just like Paul knew all the reasons to pray, he knew all of this. He knew all the reasons to rejoice always. And he knows all the biblical motivations for Christians to, play, to pray persistently. And I want to make sure we know them as well. So here are several some of the biggest ones, these are motivations, our motivations to pray without ceasing. Meditate on these. Let them change your life and encourage you, draw you to pray all the time. First, the highest of all motivations, that is to glorify God. Back to our church's mission statement, it begins with these words, we exist to glorify God. I mean, that's the ultimate purpose. I'm going to give a scripture for all of these things. Motivations, why to pray in light of this. The Lord's Prayer, when Jesus taught his disciples how to pray in Matthew 6, 9, and 10, begins with the words, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. That is the ultimate in holiness. Be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is all about God's glory. So that's, that's our first motivation to pray. God gets the glory. Next, it's so our needs will be met. Do we want our needs met? There's a motivation to pray. This is actually Jesus' next instruction in, the, in, his, in his Lord's Prayer, Matthew 6, 11. He says, next, give us this day our daily bread. So how do we get our needs met? By praying. And God loves to provide them when we ask. All right, motivations to pray all the time. Next is to ask for God's wisdom in this crazy and sinful world. James 1.5 says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him check the internet. No, I mean, you can definitely do that. Two, what God says is let him ask for it. Let him ask God who gives generously to all. Oh, man, that's cool. And I pray that prayer all the time. I hope you do too. Because we need to be wise. Next is for relief from fear and worry. Anxiety is a huge epidemic in America. Relief from fear and worry. Memorize Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Apply it. Pray it. It says, be anxious for nothing 
Now, how do you do that? How do you, how do you turn away from your anxiety? It tells you right here. But in everything, 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 by prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace, the peace that surpasses all understanding will guard your heart and minds in Jesus Christ. I, that's got to be one of the most relevant scriptures and power and amazing scriptures in the Bible for us. Just another motivation to pray all the time. The next is to be free from guilt. I, I just want to let you know, this is a personal testimony of mine. I have been free from guilt of everything I've done in the past and everything I'll do in the future because I've grasped what Jesus so plainly says, that I died for that guilt and my blood has infinite power. It is gone. Now, I, I picked King David uh, as a verse to model this for us. King David said this after adultery and murder. Psalm 32, 5. I acknowledged my sin to you. I did not hide my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. And he got that. Guilt, gone. More reasons, more motivations to pray constantly to this great God. Just another one is our concern for the lost souls of people that we know. It's another huge motivation to pray constantly. 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 4 says, First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, that means praying on other people's behalf, and thanksgiving be made for all people. This is pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. We pray for the people who don't know Jesus yet, that he's placed in our lives, that are in our lives. And I'm just scratching the surface. But those are some big ones, motivations to pray continually. Now, Jesus and Paul command us to pray so much because they know how good it is for us. They know it's so good for us. God wants to hear from you. Meditate on that for a moment, would you? God wants to hear from you. He's sitting and waiting, and he loves it. And once you're a parent, you really start understanding that in a deeper level, how sad it would be if your kids never talked to you. And if that happens in real life, I'll just say, pray for restoration, because Jesus has the power to do that too. God wants to hear from you. So think about your most pressing needs. Think about your greatest enemies and opponents. Think about your greatest dreams. God says, Bring them to me. He's concerned and he's got the power to do something about it. And he promises that he will. Consider this great quote. It's very convicting right to our heart. The greatest tragedy in life is the prayers that go unanswered because they go unasked. Pray continually. Keep on praying, brothers and sisters. That's my charge today. Whatever life throws at you, Keep on praying, all right? Let's do this. Let's talk application for a minute. What are we doing at Community Grace? 
And we want to be a praying church. I mean, we're not going to do anything in this world without being a praying church. So what are we doing? All right, a few things. On November 1st, we began a one-month virtual prayer walk, which our global fellowship, the Caris Alliance, launched. Thank you for many of you who signed up for that. If you didn't sign up for that, you can go to their website, karisalliance.org, maybe? Um, try org first. And download the PDF of all of them, and I did that, and we've been praying through this as a family. And uh, praying for our missionaries, praying for the nations, praying for the persecuted church, praying for all these needs that are listed here, and there's a great variety of the needs in this prayer walk. We prayed all over the globe, and we're not quite done um, yet. One of the things I've noticed, though, is, you know, last week, if you were here last week, we said that God's heart will not be stopped. God's heart will not be stopped, not even by COVID-19. Okay, God is still good, and we still rejoice despite COVID-19's interruptions in our lives and assault on, our, on the human race. Okay, God's will, God's heart will not be stopped. But as I flip through some of these pages all over the, all over the world, COVID-19 is having some damaging effects on the mission of God. Okay, there's, there, are, there are funds not coming in, there are travel bans, there are, there's fear, there's lockdowns and, and those kind of things that are having effects as you read people's prayer requests. We're going to pray for God to move the church to be the answer that he wants us to be, that he calls us to be, that he's created us to be in the world. And our prayers is a major part of that. So you can download that PDF again if you want to and, and catch up and just pray for the world, the nation. It's very pleasing to God who is a global-minded God and calls us to be global-minded people. All right, that's one thing. That's our church and our fellowship. Here are some suggestions for your individual prayer life. All right, maybe a lot, a lot, you have a lot of these things in place. Maybe you don't. Today's a good day to start them. First, download a prayer app if you don't have one already. Here's a couple. There's, I mean, we live in an age where there's so many. I've been using PrayerMate for years, and I love it. It's like all my prayer cards all on an app, um, and it's a lot of fun. You can do a lot of things with it. Echo Prayer is a, is a nice app for small groups or families to share prayer requests, really interactive. There's a whole lot more. Or maybe, you know, you're just the type to buy a prayer journal or use three-by-five cards. A couple of our kids got prayer journals this week, and that's exciting. And we're praying. We're devoted to praying. Whatever helps you be persistent in prayer. Next, develop a habit of praying throughout the day for every person that you come across in every situation that you're in. I love this. I, I drive and I see somebody walking down the street, and when I remember to do this, I'm not perfect, uh, I'll pray for that person. Or I'll pray for the, you know, just everything. The people you're about to go interact with in the store. Um, in our prayer meeting this morning, uh, one person said they've been praying in the shower, and I think that's great. Um, these are some ideas to always be praying. You know what? This is following Jesus. Okay, that's our lifestyle. That's, that's communion with our Father. Always be praying. But also, like Jesus, set aside times of focused prayer. Jesus went outside, mountaintops, desolate places. Daniel, in the book of Daniel, where did he go? He went in front of his window that faced Jerusalem, and he prayed there three times a day. For me, it's the living room every morning before the family wakes up. That's become a very special time. What is it for you, your focused time of prayer? 
Develop that. Also, pray with people every chance you get. Prayer partners, prayer groups, attend prayer meetings. This is called corporate prayer, and there's a, this is a whole other emphasis to God. There's a special power that happens when we pray together. So take those opportunities for the prayer meetings and prayer groups, and you're praying in your small groups, and your, and your family needs to be you know, developing a routine of praying together. The family that prays together stays together, and that's really, really true. And corporate prayers help develop our private prayers. You'll become a better prayer if you're praying with people. So here's a special request for all of you that are here and call Community Grace your home. That is to join the church's e-prayer team. Uh, There's about 50 people on it right now, which means there's a lot more room. Um, There are a lot more people that can be encouraged to get on. And what you'll do, you take a communication card today, that yellow card that's in your bulletin, and just write e-prayer team, write your email address and name, and you will get every week the prayers that people write on those cards from the bulletin. And you'll get special requests as they come out every week. And to know that we're a praying church and that people are praying out there all around our community for the requests that are brought up is an amazing thing. It's a powerful thing. It's a powerful thing for for our lives, for our church. God will bless that. So that's a special request for me to sign up. If you want to pull out that communication card right now or type that, um, send an email to the office. Okay, let's finish our great text here with Paul's third command. It's really long. It's very hard to uh, memorize. I'm just kidding again. Okay, third one, verse 18, is uh, we're going to talk about the prayers of Thanksgiving. But first, you know, this is Thanksgiving week. I need to lighten up the mood in here a little bit. Here, just read that for a second. Okay. Thanksgiving humor. I love it. My daughter asked me, what's that thing sticking out of their belly? Do you know what that is? It's the thermometer that lets it know when it's ready. Okay, anyway. Thanksgiving humor, just to make a little transition here. Because now we're going to talk about praising God and being thankful. The prayers of thanksgiving, and the focus here is to be grateful in attitude. The command of verse 18 is to give thanks in all circumstances. At first, that sounds really tough to swallow. Give thanks in all circumstances. Maybe that's possible for you, but you don't know my life. All circumstances? How could it be possible to give thanks for everything? Ah, but wait. Then you go back and look more closely at this verse. And you see that it says, give thanks in everything, not for everything. And you see the difference. The command isn't to be happy about everything. It's to be grateful in attitude, to give thanks in everything. There's a very serious comparison in in Scripture comparing non-believers with believers. Being unthankful is the essence of an unsaved heart. Romans 121 
It says, for although they knew God, they knew about God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. This is the unsaved heart. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. No matter how smart a person is, if they do not believe in God and receive his salvation in thankfulness, the hearts remain dark and dead. Now, that's the spirit of unthankfulness. We don't have anything to do with that anymore. For those whom Jesus has brought to spiritual life, hear the words of Ephesians 5, 19 and 20, which say, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is us, church. This is us. A thankful heart is a way of life for us. And it's a command because God knows what's best for us. It is spiritually abnormal for Christians to be unthankful. You got that when you're unthankful? That's an abnormality to a regenerate heart, a saved soul. But it is human nature still, and we do have a fleshly nature. It is still human nature to be a little pessimistic and unthankful. So what can we do? What can we do to, to grow out of that? Here's some application for us this week in Thanksgiving. It happens to be Thanksgiving week. One spiritual ex- exercise that's highlighted this week more of uh, more than any other week of the year, is to make a list of things that you're thankful for, right? It's, it's what we do on Thanksgiving, and it's a, great, it's, it's a great thing. Don't stop doing that, no matter, even if you're in a, in a bad season. This is how you get out of a bad season. Uh, you list the things that you're thankful for. I'm very, um, I was actually really emotional when, when Tristan was doing the, the Thanksgiving liturgy this morning. Um, let's keep that up. Here's how. I'd, I'd love to hear your traditions uh, many of you have created a Thanksgiving tree or Thanksgiving pumpkin. This was ours last year. It was a, it was a fun idea. We just all grabbed Sharpies and, and filled up that entire pumpkin by the end of the week. And what an amazing testimony. When we had people over, we let them write, write on it. Um, actually, this year, yesterday, the kids made Thanksgiving placemats. I did not get a, with their grandparents, I did not get a picture of that, but... They're pretty cool, actually. They're really fun. All right, so write that down on your notes or calendar to do uh, something like that. And then write down on your notes and calendar to do this in your thank- on Thanksgiving. Look up the lyrics to the song, Count Your Blessings. An old song, just look them up. Count your blessings. All right, so I looked up the four verses to count your blessings. Yeah, you love it when I sing, don't you? <laughs> um, and if you look at the lyrics for the four verses of the song, Count Your Blessings, uh, they correspond with the three verses that we looked today. So it'll be a great time to do that this Thursday. So note, note on your calendar to do that. Now notice the closing statement to our verses today in, in the second part of verse 18. Verse 18 again says, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Now that's a powerful conclusion right there. This is the will of God. And Linguistically, grammatically, that statement ties to the three commands that precede it. All three. Rejoice always, pray, with, um, pray without ceasing, and give thanks in all circumstances. 
this is the will of God for you. Now, all the time we go through life wondering, what, I, I wish I knew God's will for my life. And you know what? There are several times in Scripture where he just flat out says, this is my will for you, and this is one of those times. This is God's will for you. To be constantly joyful in outlook because of him. To be persistent in prayer and to be grateful in attitude because of who God is and who he has made us in Christ Jesus. Amen. I can't wait to get through this week and just start living this out. Now today, we're also looking beyond Thanksgiving towards Christmas, uh, because it's Advent season series starts next Sunday. Can you believe it? I mean, it is snowing today, so it's easier to believe that Christmas season starts next Sunday. But no, I love it. I love Christmas time. And here's why I've really, really grown to love it. Um, I want to I give you some things here as we look at the prayers of Thanksgiving and Christmas. Here's where Community Grace is going to be praying into the Christmas season and how our prayers are going to be such a powerful part of our Christmas season. This also serves as our next steps here. Okay, so Christmas and Easter are well proven to be the two times of the year when the most people in the world are open to the claims of Jesus Christ. You know, you see the decorations, you hear the songs, you see all those Christians doing stuff and dressing up and posting family pictures. Okay, they're open. They want to know more. They're interested. They're curious. More, more than ever at these two times of the year. So we, as a church, make much of the opportunity that we have, and we pray this is where it all starts. We pray for people and try to invite people and reach people. And uh, Jesus' mission is that the whole world here. So here's how we're going to do it. We launched this in Easter. Of course, that was during the lockdown, but we still did it. Uh, every Easter and Christmas, we're going to devote ourselves to praying for those people in our lives, and you each have some who just don't know Christ yet. Okay? And we're going to do this together, and we're going to pray for everybody's list. So here's what we do. To do that, we pass down the invest and invite cards, and there's a stack of about 10 big cards and 10 little cards. So if you're sitting on the end of the aisle here, or that row, uh, would you grab those, Scott? Anybody else sitting on the aisles there? And pass them all the way down to this way, and everybody take a large card and a small card. You need both the large and the small. And follow the simple instruction. These are the people who God has placed in my life, who I don't know or don't believe that they know Jesus yet, and I'm going to pray for them. And watch the Spirit of God move in his mission through you, through, your, through our prayers. So go ahead and take a few minutes to do that. And you're going to put the same names on both cards. You're going to turn in the big card into one of the boxes on the walls at the exit doors. That's how we gather them. And then you keep the small card for your reminder. And we're going to do this over the next couple weeks. Okay, so I'm just going to give you a moment to pass those out, to pull out your pens. And you can start working on those right now. Let your kids do this. You know, you can have the same names as your spouse or, some, or different ones. You can write one. You can write four. I think there are four spaces. You can write... 24, if you want to, you know, write small. Um, write them both down. And then what happens when we, as we collect all those by checking the boxes, you're going to slide them in the boxes on the walls. Two weeks from today, 
we're going to pray for them all by name together in a loud concert of prayer. And what that looks like is that's December 6th, two Sundays from today, immediately after the service for everybody who can stay. We're going to go eat lunch together, break bread and fellowship together, come back and sing a couple songs, and then we're going to spread out all over the... uh, He's just going to collect them. Even better, Chris. You're the man. Oh, okay. Yeah, there you go. He's on it. Thanks for taking care of everybody. Okay, so that's Sunday, December 6th, two weeks from now. And then we'll huddle into, into prayer circles and pray by name over all of the cards. This is an amazing thing. And then we see what God does. We see how he moves in people's lives. I have seen, we've, I've been doing, we've been doing this for years and years and have seen people come to Christ. And man, when you can celebrate, one of my investment invite names came to, Christ, came to church, came to Christ, asked, started asking questions, whatever it is, we celebrate that as we watch God move. These are the prayers of Christmas at Community Grace. <clears throat> and finally, my last thing here to announce is that, another big announcement is that, like I said, Advent season starts next Sunday, and I'm very excited about that because Christmas is a wonderful time of year for everybody, but especially for the Christian who knows everything about it and who knows everything about the traditions, the meaning behind all the traditions that have developed over the years. As you learn about the meaning behind this and what the Bible says and the depths of of the Christmas season, Advent, the incarnation, all the meaning behind all the symbols, your joy becomes immense at Christmas time, and it really does truly become the best season of the year. And I'm excited, excited to share our tool for doing these things this year as a church, and we're going to be, uh, I'm going to encourage everybody to get one of these. This is a book. It's an Advent devotional. It is the best Advent devotional in the world. That sounds like a biased comment. I did not write it. Um, but a friend of mine did, and our family's been using this for the last eight years. And I tell you, it is awesome. Here's, here's what it looks like. There's elements in it for all ages. You do it daily for the four weeks of Advent. That's 28 days in a row leading up to Christmas Day. There's a quick guide that's going to be stuffed in it for how to use it from five minutes a day for starters or young kids um, to longer experiences for adults or older kids, less restless kids. Uh, You can do a little bit more. The introduction explains very well, very clearly how to use the book. And you will finish after 28 days on Christmas Day with an entirely new and robust understanding of all the traditions and the history and activities, and you'll experience that, um, the biblical meaning behind all of that. And I'll be preaching from the texts that the Sunday sessions cover, and those are just the traditional texts of the four Advent candles, which we will be lighting uh, over the next four weeks, and it's going to be great. I, I would love for every household to have one. They are on sale starting today at the Resource Center out there. Um, and they normally are $15, but here's a Christmas bonus. Um, my friend sent me the two cases of them, and the cover got cut off here. See, the little E got cut off. So we got a discount. <laughs> Christmas savings. Um, it's a miracle. No, Christmas miracle. They're uh, $10 so for that. So we're going to pass on those savings. Yay. 
So please pick one up and enjoy that. We're going to launch that uh, next week. We'll, we'll sell them out there next week too, or you can get them at the office during the week as well. These are the prayers of Thanksgiving and Christmas. This is how God's going to change our lives today, this week, and going forward from here. Let's pray right now as we close. Lord, we want to just give this all to you. In light of all of this, we've got so much to thank you for. We've got so much to acknowledge. Uh, we've got so much business to do spiritually. We've got so much work to do in the world. We've got so much just time to commune with you and new habits to develop. We've got so much joy to build up in this church and in our homes. So much answer to the world's problems and our own sufferings. I just thank you for all of that, and I pray that none of us leaves here today without a renewed interest and commitment to your commands that are for our good and your glory. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.